Hello and welcome to the Revive Church Podcast with Pastor Todd Mazingo. I'm your host, Paul Garner. Thank you for listening today. Do you want to know how to pray more powerfully? If God already knows what we need, then why do we have to ask Him to meet our needs? Is there a connection between asking and receiving, even though God already knows what we need? What is the connection between faith and prayer? Is there a connection between the words of our mouth that reveal our actual faith? Is the strength of our faith revealed in the confidence of our words? Pastor Todd teaches us today how to pray powerfully with words from our hearts. He shows what happens in heaven as our prayers rise up to the altar. Be sure to listen in to the end for some important information. So this morning, I want to go through just a bit on prayer. I don't know how long I'll be teaching on prayer, but this morning we're going to skip some stones across and connect some dots and get ourselves started into a journey of understanding how to pray powerfully. Uh, Because there's a verse that we read that, that seems to throw a little contradiction in the mix. Like, what are we supposed to do with that? Or it's always confused me. It's in Matthew 6, 7 and 8. Here's what it says. And when you are praying, don't use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they'll be heard for their many words. But look at eight. So do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. I don't know about you, but I've always wondered what to do with that. What do I do with the fact that I have a need, but he already knows what my need is, but he's asking me to ask him for the need that he already knows I have? What's the point? What's the point in praying if he already knows? Why doesn't he just supply that need? There are so many verses in the Bible about asking. Ask and you will receive. If you ask anything in my name. Uh, and then I look at James 4.2 and it says this. You do not have because you do not ask. So this asking thing is critical. There seems to be a spiritual connection between asking for something and actually receiving what God already knows you need. That's what I want to talk about today, because in other words, in order for an answer to be released into reality, it must be requested. Uh, Maybe I should say it this way. The answer is out there, but if we're going to bring it into our reality, we have to ask for it to be brought into our reality. And I think the key maybe is in Matthew 21, 22. All things you ask in prayer, believe, and you will receive. So let me connect some dots here for you. We have a need. God already knows you have that need. It is available but we have to ask for it. And if we believe it, then we can receive it. So the contrary has to be true, that if I don't believe it, I won't receive it. And some of you right now are thinking inside of yourself, he's one of those name it, claim it guys. I'm actually not. I think there are things that can be named and claimed because God puts the desire into your heart and then ask you to speak it into a reality. But I think it's more defined scripturally than just wanting something and believing you can have it and getting it. I think that's not at all what I want to talk about today. What I want to talk about is in consideration of Luke 6.45, 
out of the mouth, the heart speaks. My heart has a tool to communicate, and it is my mouth. So what I pray reveals what I believe in my heart. Stay with me. So prayer is a demonstration of what you actually believe. You with me? All right. So your heart is being revealed in what you pray. If you listen to a person's prayer, you can tell what their heart actually believes. Hear me out. If your belief is strong, then you pray confidently. If your belief is weak, then you play wimpily, if that's a word. You ever seen a wimpy prayer? Ever heard a wimpy prayer? Because if your belief is unsure, your prayer will be hesitant. Let me tell you how I see this most happen. Somebody believes, I have to pray for this. I have to ask God for this. And in full confidence, they go and say, this is what we want, God. This is what should happen. Now, if it be your will, listen to me. The majority of the time, if it be your will, is your cop out. It's your cop out. Because quite honestly, before we go to the Father, we ought to know the will of the Father. And when we know the will of the Father, then we can confidently pray that this is his will. Mm. So if your prayer involves fear, you might even hear a little whimpering in your prayer. If your prayer is from a place of being a victim, then your prayer, listen to me, will be whiny. If you're a victim, your prayer will be whiny. But I think we all want confident prayer. I think we want to speak things and understand that we can know and move things in the spirit. Now, here's the truth. I can pray confidently, but my heart is not confident. It's called faking it. And the deal with faking it is you always know when you're faking it. You always know, I don't actually believe this, but I believe if I say it confidently, it might happen. Well, there's a conflict going on inside of you because the confidence and faith is not there. So being honest with you, yes, sometimes we can pray a prayer that's not actually what's in our heart. We have to pray what we believe. So let's talk about belief. Scripturally, belief and faith are pretty much the same thing. They're maybe used in different contexts, but they both indicate your confidence in something. You believe it. You have faith in it. We're measuring the level of confidence that you have in it. But if I go to Hebrews 11.1, 1, this is what it says about faith. Now, faith is the assurance that confidence. It's the assurance of things that I'm hoping for, and it is the conviction, that knowing of things not seen. Now, I want to draw some conclusions from that statement. If faith is a conviction of what you cannot see, then you cannot see what you're putting your faith in. Correct? If you wanted something that's already there, you don't need any faith to pray for it. It's already there. 
but it has to not be there for you to pray in faith for it to be there. So when I use my faith, I'm always exercising towards something I cannot see that is not available to me yet. So things in the spiritual realm are unseen, but we have faith that they exist. Am I right? Yes, some of us can see into the spiritual realm. For the most of us, you don't see the angels around you. You don't see what's going on in the spiritual realm. Many of us don't see the attack of the demonic, and we blame God like it's his fault for not protecting us when he told us to cast that thing out. I'm going to be nice in a minute. So when we pray, we're putting our faith into something that's not here yet, but we believe it can be here even though we don't see it. Stay with me. I'm actually going somewhere. Words spoken by faith bring things from the unseen spiritual realm into the physical realm. I say it again. Words spoken by faith bring things from the unseen spiritual realm into the physical because faith is knowing we can create movement in the spiritual realm toward the physical. Let me show you this in scripture. Let me show you an example of how that works. It's in Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. I'll give you a minute to get there. It's important. This is a story you've heard many times before, but I want you to look at it in the frame of what we're talking about today. Luke 7, 2. There's a centurion who has a slave that's sick, and he has a conversation with Jesus about it. In 2, it says, and a centurion slave who is highly regarded by him was sick and about to die. And when he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders asking him to come and save the life of his slave. And when they came to Jesus, they earnestly implored him saying, he is worthy for you to grant this to him for he loves our nation. And it was he who built us our synagogues. Now Jesus started on his way with them. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying, Lord, do not trouble yourself further for I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. For this reason, I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. Watch. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. Just say it and the healing will come. For I am also a man who is placed under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go and guess what? He goes. And I say to another, come and guess what? He comes. And I say to another slave, do this and he does it. Now, when Jesus heard this, he marveled at him and he turned and he said to the crowd, follow him. I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found that the slave was in good health. What is the faith that Jesus found in the centurion? It was a faith that if just a word was spoken, the healing would come. This is what he said. Jesus, you don't have to come here. All you have to do is speak it and it will happen. So declare it, Jesus, so that the healing will come. Notice he did not say, I need you to come here and lay hands on him. He did not say, I need you to take a napkin, pray over it and send it to me. 
He did not say, I've got to bring my slave to you to touch you. He did not say, hey, if I can just get him outside, would you walk by and let your shadow and then maybe he'd be healed? No, he said, all you got to do is say it and it's going to happen. This was a demonstration of what the centurion believed in his heart. He believed that if Christ said it, it would come from the spiritual realm into the healing and healing would be brought to his servant. So what's the point that the centurion is making? He understands what it means to be under authority. Watch this. When a command is given. His explanation was, I understand what it means under, to be under authority. When I say go, they go. When I say come, they come. So he understood what it means to be under authority when a commandment is given. Let me give it to you maybe in, in real terms for today. Let's say there's a manager at your work, and let's say you're a supervisor, and the manager comes to you as a supervisor and says, all employees can go home today at three o'clock. The edict is made. At three o'clock, the employees are released. How many employees will go home at three o'clock if the supervisor does not tell them? Zero. Why? Because until the command is given, they don't know to follow it. So when the supervisor with the authority of the manager goes and tells the people you may go home at three, they'll go home. They will, trust me. In the same way, there was going to be healing for this servant. The healing was available, but it had to be spoken to come into existence because once spoken, the power to go home at three o'clock was released. An unspoken command releases no power. Amen. You hear me? The manager's command only released power with the supervisor, but the employees did not go home because the authority and the power of that word was not released to the employees. So if it's not spoken, there's no power released and nothing happens. Mm. Let's go to Matthew 17. Matthew 17. Maybe this will make more sense to you. Here's another scripture that trips up believers, not only about prayer, not only about demons, but about fasting. Matthew 17, when they came to the crowd, a man came up to Jesus, falling on his knees before him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son because he's a lunatic and he's very ill. And he often falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they couldn't cure him. And Jesus answered and said, look at this answer. You unbelieving and perverted generation, how long am I going to be with you? How long do I put up with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked him, and the demon came out of him, and the boy was cured at once. Now look at 19, exactly what you and I would do. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why couldn't we drive out the demon? And he said, because of the littleness of your faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of the mustard seed, don't miss the next three words. You will say. 
You will say to this mountain, you will give the command, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. When you have faith, you speak it, and things happen. Now, here's where I think we get confused. We try to put faith in something happening. We put our faith in the mountain moving instead of the faith in the power that is available to make the mountain move. What do I mean by that? My faith is not that I can relocate dirt. My faith is that there is a power available through faith by my speaking it to make dirt move. This faith is not in healing a cancer cell. My faith is in the power that is available that is brought here by my speaking and asking it to remove that cancer cell from a body. My faith is in the power of the authority that's been granted to me to speak commands. You remember what the centurion said, just say the word and my servant will be healed. Just release the power with your words and my servant is going to be healed. Listen, what I have faith in is the unseen power to be released through the authority given to me in Jesus name. Mm. You're going to catch it in a minute. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm excited about what I'm about to teach you. How does this work? Because we're humans. It has to make sense first. But once it makes sense, we can't help but believe it. So how does this power get accessed Where do our prayers get this kind of power, this kind of authority to be released? In Psalms 141.2, it says, may my prayer be counted as incense before you, God, the lifting up of my hands as the evening offering. Why would he compare prayer to incense lifted before God? Well, let's go find out. It's in Exodus 30. Exodus 30. God is setting up the ability to dwell among his people. He is saying, I want you to build me a tabernacle. And in that tabernacle, in the outer courtyard, there's going to be a place for you to make sacrifices. And in the holies, in the inside of the building, there will be a table of showbread and and lampstands and light. And then there's going to be this altar. And this is where he explains the altar. Moreover, you shall make an altar as a place for burning incense, and you shall make it out of acacia wood, and its length will be a cubic, and its width will be a cubic, and it shall be square, and its height will be two cubics. Its horns shall be of one piece with it, and you shall overlay it with pure gold, and its top and its sides and all around its horns, and you shall make a gold molding around for it. And you shall make two gold rings for it under the molding, so that you should make them on its two side walls, on opposite sides sides, and they will, shall be for holders of poles, which will carry it. And you shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. And you shall put this altar, watch, in front of the veil that is near the ark of the testimony, in front of the altar seat that is over the ark of the testimony, where I will meet with you. Now remember the layout of the temple, outer courtyard, porch, holies, where the things I just described are, big veil. Big veil, big curtain. Beyond that, Ark of the Testimony, Ark of the Covenant, where God would sit, the mercy seat, where he would meet with 
the high priest once a year to forgive the sins of the people. We would communicate. He's saying, I want this altar just beyond the veil. I'm inside. I want it just right in front of me, but beyond the veil. Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it, and he shall burn it every morning when he trims the lamp. And when Aaron trims the lamp at twilight, he shall burn incense. Now watch this. There shall be a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout generations. What did that just say? This flame don't go out. This incense is always burning. You're going to care to it twice a day to make sure that it's perpetual, to make sure that it's constant, to make sure it's going. The altar of incense represents the prayers that come before the Lord. God set this in place to remind the people that they should be forever praying and there should always be a stream of prayers going up before God. You know this in the new covenant in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. It says pray without perpetual. The people will always pray. This will always be a fragrance that comes up before God. He wants this altar made with incense constantly bringing up this smoke, this flame, this incense before him that is the prayer of his people. It's a powerful picture of prayers rising up before God. And it's, is, is it just all about God having something good smelling in the room? No, I think it's more than that. What happens when that incense flame, when that smoke rises, when that burning on the altar gets before God. What is the point of that? I'm going to show you this, and I'm telling you for some of you in the room, this is about to rock your world. Because I'm going to bet there are people who have never even seen this in Scripture, and it's incredibly powerful. It's in Revelation 5. Revelation 5. Look at them go for their Bibles now. You underline this, Revelation 5, 8. When he had taken the book, this is all about the throne room in heaven, John's revelation of what's going on there. When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls of incense, comma, which are the prayers of the saints. Who are the saints? So before the throne of God, there is a bowl of incense, which is your prayers. So what's in this bowl? Your prayers. What is in that bowl? I think it's the prayers that we are asking by faith. And I'll explain why in a minute. But now go over to Revelation chapter 8. This is where it's going to get you. Revelation chapter 8. Revelation 8, 3. Another angel came and stood at the altar, holding a golden censer, and much incense was given to him. An angel is being given incense so that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar, which is before the throne. Now, here's what just occurred. Your prayer in heaven as incense before the throne and an angel is adding to it. Now watch. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God 
out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and he filled it with fire of the altar and he threw it to earth. And there followed peals of thunder and sounds of flashing lightning and earthquake. I don't know if you're seeing what is being said here, but when prayers are spoken, they are combined with the fire of God and thrown back to this earth to have effect. This is your prayer in faith going up before God, being combined with the fire of God, and being thrown back down to the earth for change. So, let's offer up a wimpy, whining prayer. You want me to tell you what a wimpy, whining prayer is? Do you remember there were two sons of Aaron? And there was a time where they went to the temple and they offered a strange incense. And what happened? They were struck dead. Why? Because something was taken to the very altar of God that was not of God. It was not of faith. It was not of love. It was not of will of God. It was not of life. It was a strange incense offered before, and it had no effect other than to take their life. So here's what's happening. The power, the fire of God is combined with your words and released to this earth. I am requesting through my words the very power of God be sent from heaven to make changes on this earth. Therefore, therefore, my prayer has to be in line with the will of God. And again, I don't think that's asking if it's your will, God, because I should know the will of God. The sons of Aaron knew the incense was wrong. They knew the right incense to offer, but they offered a wrong incense. And oftentimes the moral and the morality and the decision of our heart is not right when we go before God. We are not asking, I will say this over and over until I die. Here's how to understand what it means to pray in Jesus' name. It does not mean use the word in Jesus' name. There is no power in those consonants and vowels put together in that order. Here's where there is power. When I recognize that I am doing something representing Jesus. I am in his name. And when I operate in his name, I am operating for what he wants, not what I want. This is where the name it, claim it thing goes off the track. Because if you're looking for what you want, you are offering a bad incense. But if you're looking for what Jesus wants, you can offer up a good incense. It will be combined with the fire of God and it will be sent down to give that to you. So I have to know, whoo, I have to know what Jesus wants for me so I know what to ask for me. Maybe he wants me to see into the spiritual realm so I can ask him, can you show me into the spiritual realm? Maybe he wants to increase my faith so I can ask him to increase my faith. And when I say maybe, what I mean is I've got to figure out what he wants so that I can pray effectively with power because God is going to send fire with my prayer to affect the change. What is going to happen? 
If in 2019, Revived Church learns to command by faith that the fire of God come to this earth. What's going to happen if we stop asking for what he already told us we have? What's going to happen if we stop begging God for things and to begin to use his authority correctly? What's going to happen if we move out of complaining in the desert and into the taking of the promised land? What if the defeated enemy recognized the access we have to the throne room of God to bring the fire of God to earth? What if the enemy knew that we knew how to use it? What if the enemy knew that we were in line with God and we were asking for things representing Jesus and it was time to make a change in our life, in the health of the people around us, in the financial situations around us? What would happen if we realized that we are uh, violent men who take a kingdom violently by force because when they got to the promised land, they took the kingdom by force? It's what we do. It's called praying, not begging, not whining, not pleading, not being wimpy before God. Listen to me. I know there are times when you're hurt. I know there were times for David when he was hurt. When David just said, my God, they're after me. Save me. Keep me. I get it. But I'm telling you, it's 95% of the believer's prayer today. And it should be 5%. There are times when I have to go before God and say, help me. But I need to learn to go before God and say, this ends today. This ends today. And I am commanding in the name of Jesus for this to be done today. For it to be done today. And I've offered that holy and acceptable and righteous prayer that is in line with the will of the Father to the altar for you, Chemo. And I am commanding that that fire come down on you. And this ends today. Done with that. Stand to your feet, please. I think it's time we make some declarations that we begin to believe in. So repeat this after me. God, I'm tired of wimpy prayer. I'm tired of whiny prayer. I am done with prayers offered without faith. It is time for me to command the will of Jesus on this earth combined with your fire to affect change in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what did you think? Has God been speaking to you about any of these things? We would love to hear from you. You can email us at info at reviveusnow.com. Now for some very exciting news. Pastor Todd's latest book has just been released. It's called Missing Pieces. Have you ever asked yourself, if the Holy Spirit lives in me, why do I still do the things I don't want to do? Pastor Todd addresses this and many more important questions that most of us have pondered for years. Pastor Todd fills in the missing pieces that we have wondered about, and when those pieces are understood and put in place, the bigger picture becomes more clear. This new book is available now on Amazon. 
This podcast is brought to you by Revive Church of Stewart, Florida. You can learn more about us at our website, reviveusnow.com. If you would like to support this ministry, go to our website, reviveusnow.com slash give. If you live in our area or are planning a visit to our area, we would love to have you join us. We are located at 8851 Southwest Old Kansas Avenue in Stewart, Florida. If you enjoyed this podcast, why not click to subscribe right here on the podcast site of your choice. That way you won't miss any of Pastor Todd's and Revive Church's future podcasts. Thank you for joining us.